Культура кура. Культура стілює. В Латинській Америці кажуть культура кура, що означає культура або спілкування стілює. Розкажи свою історію. Стіли себе, стіли своє суспільство. I have an imagination or some idea that there is lots of common between uh, Ukrainian Donbass, where we have now war at this moment in Ukraine, and actually um, West Midlands, which are both highly industrialized uh, regions. And my next question is uh, to to Rob. Uh, Rob, you you write about you write a lot about uh, small towns uh, of black country, and um, you held up or you are the organizer of anthology uh, about the so-called new towns. Uh, could you please present this phenomenon of the new towns to the Ukrainian audience? Um, What is uh, what is this uh, phenomenon in a social in social dimension in cultural dimension and why it is important to uh, reflect uh, by the means of uh, of culture of literature the the spirit of uh, these new towns? Yeah, that's a really lovely question. Thanks for asking. Um, so there was an anthology that came out in uh, last year with uh, Wild Press books called New Towns. And it's a it's a collection of poems and short pieces of monologues and personal essays from uh, lots of different writers from across the UK. Um, and like you say, with, uh, with a focus on um, place writing from the, the various new towns in the UK. <clears throat> um, the, the concept of the new town and the, the the building of new towns was something that, that happened in the UK um, at the back end of the Second World War uh, and in those those first post-war years. Uh, but it, it had several later stages as well. Um, so the first phase of kind of building happened uh, in 1946, uh, and then there was subsequent uh, phases where they either expanded or built new ones Uh, in the late 60s and early 70s as well. Um, and the, the, the starting block for it really was that they were building sort of uh, homes for heroes, I guess, returning heroes from the war. Um, and they needed to be, they needed these to be kind of prized, beautiful, well-built homes that were fit for the people that had sacrificed their, their lives and and uh, uh, and fought um, and so they were built with a kind of utopian idea in mind really that they that they uh, were were small little communities in and of the, in and of themselves that they were uh, they had that each individual new town had access to really good schools and uh, green spaces and theaters and there were these sort of tight little uh, communities and they were built with the kind of road planning and building structures in mind to have everything all in one spot and that the, the, the harmony would come out of this kind of unique experiment in lots of ways 
And if we kind of then fast forward, in, in fact, quite a lot of the sort of advertising and slogans and, uh, um, and, and uh, media that came out encouraging people to move to these new towns and, and for investors to get behind these new towns are, are decidedly Soviet in their appearance, in their appearance as well. Um, the, there is that kind of communal uh, eeriness about them. Um, but if we, if we kind of skip forward a couple more decades, quite a lot of these places are now no longer new, even though that they still have the kind of moniker new towns um, and, and haven't really fulfilled their promise. You know, they've, they've been uh, greatly underfunded. Um, quite a lot of the spaces and the, the populations there are, are, are kind of commuter towns in lots of ways. So they're, they're used for people to live for them to go and work and exercise and take part in their leisure time elsewhere in lots of ways as well. So they've been underfunded. Um, quite a lot of the, the, the streets and the, the, the highways and whatnot around them are, are, are in disrepute. Um, and there is a sort of cultural stigma associated with the new town as well, that they're, they're too new to have any kind of cultural capital in the way that um, somewhere like uh, a, an old English village might have, or a small town that's got that kind of history to it, uh, and likewise, they can't compete with the uh, with the big cities and urban centres that attract uh, the the big names in in theatre and music and arts and whatnot as well. So from a kind of academic position, I was really interested again with these places that were off kilter, that were in between, that had that kind of liminal quality of being both new and no longer brand new. Um, places that hadn't quite fulfilled their potential or that had been left behind in some way. And, and that seemed to be home to uh, stories uh, and, and narratives um, that again had been overlooked and, and uh, underappreciated. Uh, and, and what you get in that anthology as well is, is, a, is quite a lot of stories about people coming into being, of rites of passage, of people needing to leave, but not being, not figure, not being able to figure out how to leave. Um, and in doing that, they kind of sort of put a new lens on their, on their environment as well as writers. So they, they start to think about the minute details and the, and the beauty that they hadn't seen before as well. Um, and, and again, you know, and, it, and that's in keeping with quite a lot of my, uh, my work as well, um, of, of places that have been lost or, or left behind in some way and how characters and people and voices deal with that sense of liminality. And um, do you believe that uh, giving voice to uh, such local identities, especially of local identities for writers, uh, uh, is it important to to make uh, more to make literature and culture in the country more strong? And um, how uh, how local institutions and maybe. Um, 
government institutions uh, help to uh, to give the voices to um, to such local identities of writers yeah well i mean i think it's important because you um for a long time i suppose there's there's been quite a lot of quite a lot of the literature scene in the uk has been london centric um and if it's not london centric then it's the kind of cliches of an English countryside or the the grit of big cities and quite a lot of the UK in fact the vast majority of the UK are neither of those things um they are small parochial conurbations and and uh towns and suburbs and quite often interlink with each other um and and there's there's lots and lots of stories there and lots and lots of uh intrigue there that that has only really been tapped into certainly in the black country in the last kind of uh few decades really um and so you, you get a better picture of life lived in a location and and life lived in in the wider uh culture and cultures uh, when you get very, very specific, um, and getting right up close to the minute details of a particular region or locale allows the writer to send out quite universal messages as well, I think. Um, and and for, for me personally, I mean, quite a lot of my poetry in particular is quite abstract in nature. And so, in order to kind of harness and anchor those abstract ideas and those big kind of theoretical ideas, I use dialect and sense of place to, to give it a space time to, to exist in that allows the reader to kind of feel immersed and anchored um, as well. Um, I think in, in terms of government and non-government initiatives, um, I mean, Writing West Midlands does a brilliant job in terms of um, promoting and uh, supporting uh, writers and, and, and culture in the West Midlands. And, um, and the, there are a number of other kind of uh, initiatives and, and groups as well that do similar things. Um, but I would go back to my initial point as well, that particularly in, in places like the Black Country and, and other overlooked areas of the UK, especially the kind of post-industrial parts of the UK. Um, more often than not, these scenes come about at local folk nights, at music events, at open mic events, at, uh, that are in working men's clubs and uh, in uh, the upstairs rooms of pubs and bars. Um, and these are a group of like-minded people, um, normally, two three or four in number that go right no one else is doing this so let's do it ourselves and quite a lot of the black country culture has come out of that that entrepreneurial spirit um and it why is it important i think it's important that well in in a similar way to what heather just said you know that people People for a long, long time have been felt that their towns and their histories and their voices and their stories 
don't really mean anything that, that there's no there's no grand purpose to it uh, and it takes writers like heather to to kind of bring that about for people to recognize wow we were part of something special and that then encourages more people to think about themselves uh, and, and create more work that um for good or bad thinks of the the place and the people as special in some way thank you Robert. so yeah it's culture cures i guess thank you uh i must say that i'm uh by myself from a small town and though i have told uh quite a few stories already uh in my novels uh i uh, didn't uh, have enough courage to tell the story of my own town so these local stories are probably uh very touchy and uh really take a lot of power and courage to to be told so my question probably will be to to jonathan uh jonathan could you uh maybe go on with this question uh that i asked uh rob to tell uh who is also uh on the let's say market of supporting uh local cultures except west midlands uh who uh writing west midlands who are your neighbors both by initiatives and by the values that you uh that you share yes of course um I completely echo what Rob has the other writers you've spoken to have said, which is that so much culture, written culture in uh, what were industrial communities, they come from the communities themselves. They come from people getting together and saying, we'll do it. And, and that is an echo of the um, culture of the Mechanics Institute of the 19th century where working people would want to have their own library and would want to have their own concert hall and want to develop themselves and knew that if they didn't do it no one else was going to because there wasn't a general interest in working people bettering themselves that was working people doing it for themselves um, and even when the big industrial uh, organizations started to disappear in the way Heather's mentioned the Coobridges and the factories and the foundries and the uh, and the coal mines even when they started to close some of that idea of us doing our own stuff together, carried on in all these different communities. So on the one hand, you have lots of small groups of people trying to make things happen. And then you have a layer of local government or sometimes central government trying to encourage developments. And what Rob mentioned about the new towns, and we have some splendid new towns in the West Midlands, Telford and Tamworth and Redditch to some extent, which were vastly expanded after the Second World War. That was about local government in that brief period in the 1950s and 60s, really believing that they could make a better life for everybody after the privations of the Second World War. And for all that they sometimes look a little bit tired now, a lot of good was done. Uh, and uh, once people got used to living in those new places, again, new societies and clubs and organizations started to develop. And, and then you've got central government. Um, which, depending on the political persuasion of the government, has thought it was a good idea to give people the freedom to develop their own stuff, or sometimes has thought it's a much better idea for them to impose something from on high. And in fact, the, the history of British culture in the last 40 years has been about a constantly shifting centre of gravity. Uh, who are the voices we should be listening to? Which are the important voices? And something that Rob mentioned chimed in, the fact that over the last 10 years, 
there's been a change in British writing scene, in the British literary scene, in that London-based publishers have again realised that there are lots of stories and lots of readers and possibly lots of money to be made by talking to people from these areas which have been largely forgotten. Um, the areas we've been talking about in the black country and many other similar areas around the country. So we find those organisations, government-led organisations and commercial organisations starting to think perhaps we should take more notice of these, of these voices. They're not always doing it for the right reason, in my view. They're sometimes doing it because it is politically expedient to give the impression that they're interested in what people living in Tipton have got to say about their culture, but at least it means a slight shift in centre of gravity but they are rec re recognising that these individuals in these towns and areas, that they, they need to be heard. So for Writing West Midlands, we're a tiny organisation and we're, you know, we're only three and a half full-time people equivalent, so we are tiny. Uh, our job is to try and amplify the voices of other people and connect them up. Because when you connect up, you realise you have more in common than that which separates you. So to bring together the festivals, to bring together the small publishers, to bring together the universities that teach creative writing, that's really useful. And we haven't mentioned universities, and this is something where I feel I can be rightly proud of what we do in the UK and what doesn't necessarily happen uh, on the mainland of Europe, which is that since the 1980s, there's been a growing movement to treat creative writing as a, a, a legitimate course of, a course of study but you can study creative writing to become a better writer and you don't have to do it. And of course, not all writers do do that. Um, I, I, I didn't study creative writing myself, but many people do and many young people are doing that now. And in our region, the whole of the West Midlands, there are 14 universities. And I think most of them, maybe 12 at least, have creative writing courses. And the one that Rob teaches on in Wolverhampton is very highly regarded not just because it does a great job in terms of teaching creative writing, but because it has a particular interest in the literature of the black country in which it sits. It isn't training its students to be sent to London to necessarily go and work in the literature world there. It's training its students to make literature in their own communities, which are largely around the black country. So we also have that little, not little, that significant part of the literary sector which is through higher education. So that's another centre of gravity, which we in the West Midlands hope will keep people in the West Midlands and not having them always feel they need to go elsewhere to write. Um, so it's a very complicated scene. And um, uh, Rob mentioned that when the new towns were built, there was a certain kind of uh, glimmer in people's eyes about having a five or 10 year plan, which I know uh, was not always a good thing, but there was a kind of overall plan. Well, I have to say that, uh, culture in the UK at the moment, uh, I would be lying if I said I felt it had an overall plan that everyone agreed with. It is a lot of different uh, stratas, different sections of our cultural world, pushing in slightly different directions, constantly changing how they do things and so on. Now this makes it exciting. It means that new presses start up and new festivals start up and, and people, as, as both Heather and Robert said, people just decide we're going to do it and we're going to do it now and for ourselves. But it also means that um, uh, a lot of things don't happen which might happen because you need certain individuals who've got a little bit of energy, that little bit of energy to say, let's start something here. And, and the writers we're talking to in these podcasts, they are 
those individuals who have that extra bit of energy and are willing to say, let's do it here. Um, but there are other towns and regions in the black country probably and, and in the rest of the West Midlands where we haven't yet found the right person to say, I'm going to start a festival or I'm going to start a publishing house. So to finish, it is complicated. Uh, central government is interested in uh, culture partly for what it can deliver for them, which is about votes and, 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 and keeping a population obedient perhaps. Um, local governments perhaps has got a more uh, a nuanced understanding of the value of local culture and they know that if you put a theatre in the town, the town feels proud to have a theatre. If you have writers who come from a town, the town feels proud to have their own writers. I think local government recognises that more than central government. And then you have all these organisations which are not government organisations, like mine, Writing West Midlands, we are independent. We get some money from government, we get some money from other people, but we are independent. And then you have all these individuals who are absolutely independent. And, uh, and um, uh, you, you, cannot, you cannot tell uh, the black country how to do its literature. It, it will decide itself. I can't, I, I only live across the border in Birmingham, but I know I can't say to the black country, you should do this or that. They will do what they wish. And the same is true in, in Birmingham and the same is true in all the parts of our regions. There's a real independence of spirit, which I think does come from the fact that they know that for so many decades, these towns and communities were largely overlooked and largely forgotten. And everybody believed that only the big cities were important. And now they're starting to realize the small towns were just as important. Um, and of course, it turns out the small towns have been busy making culture all this time. We just haven't noticed it. So it is actually a very exciting time. Um, and to come back, <coughs> excuse me, to the um, subject of these podcasts, uh, Cultura Cura, whether culture can cure. Um, I think culture can certainly give people in particularly these small towns and communities, a sense of value and self-worth, a sense that they could be, to use a familiar phrase, world famous round here, um, which is, which is a funny way of saying it, but you know, to be world famous on your own street is actually very important for people. So know there are people who know that you are the person who does the songs or you're the person who writes the poems or you're the person who does the paintings. You don't have to go to London to be recognized. You, you can be stopped on the street in Cradley Heath and somebody say, I like that poem I read in, in, in the paper the other night, or I like that thing I heard you do uh, at the open mic. And, and that's the kind of culture that I think these small places are, are showing us how to do, which is uh, make it yourself, make it sustainable so that you can keep it going forever. You don't need to rely on big structures telling you you can do it. Uh, you can rely on small groups of people, cells of activity, groups of partisans, shall we say, making their own culture in little localities. So I haven't given you a clear answer to that question, I'm afraid, simply because it is even in our little region of you know a few million people, it is very complicated. But on the plus side, um, there's never a week goes by that new writers don't come to my attention from across the West Midlands. They just keep on developing. And, uh, and a lot of people are made very happy by the opportunity to have their work read and, and their voices heard. And, and that's the real joy for me is we forget sometimes that culture makes us happy. It makes us feel that we're doing something useful in the world that is creative and not destructive 
uh, and but something that reflects our individuality. So we're not just in the factory doing just the same job as the woman or man next to us. We're doing our own poem, our own song, our own story. And it may have similarities, but it's in our own voice and we've got our name against it. So it's giving us a little bit of agency in a world that is often denying us agency and making us feel that we're only important if we're consuming. This, all this creativity, this culture makes us important because we're creating, not consuming. To me, Jonathan, uh, what you have described, the situation of literature uh, process in Birmingham sounds not just as a developing, but blossoming. So for me, it <laughs> sounds yes. very nice. There are um, lots of flowers blossoming, that is true, in the whole of the West Midlands. But uh, Rob, uh, Jonathan also uh, have mentioned that uh, you are running um, literature workshops. Um, could you say a few words about uh, this your direction of activity, especially who comes uh, to your courses? Uh, what are these people and uh, what do they ask for? For, for what, for what purposes? Uh, are they really those uh, unknown writers from your own street that will become famous? Yeah, so um, thanks very much. The... Um So I work at the University of Wolverhampton. I'm one of the lecturers on uh, the creative and professional writing degree. Um, and I suppose the we, we've got a, a really pleasingly diverse mix of students from, from lots of different uh, communities, um, but predominantly from the Midlands. Uh, we don't get that many students coming from outside of the uh, Birmingham Black Country and the West Midlands generally. Um, they, they, they tend to be on the younger side. They tend to be between the ages of 18 and 20 um, and, and a small number of mature students. Um, and I, I suppose the, the, the thing that um, they all share as, as students is, is curiosity um, and uh, a, a want to... Uh, learn their craft I think quite a lot of the quite a lot of our students are, are, are only really interested in um, figuring out um, the, the details of the craft uh, I think um, and so it's a really beautiful thing to be a part of it's really beautiful and, and quite a lot of the uh, the focus in our In, in our modules is is towards place and place writing and 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 the midlands as, as jonathan said you know the, the university of wolverhampton sort of prides itself on being the black country uni um and and quite a lot of the the research that comes out of it uh, and and the creative output that comes out of it is 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 place specific um a good example of that is the, the black country studies center um And so it, it's like I say, it's a it's a really beautiful thing to be a part of uh, watching these these writers that come from the same estates as me, that come from the same towns as me. Um, kind of, I, I suppose that they they see they see quite closely names like Liz Berry, Anthony Cartwright, Joel Lane, um, people like Emma Pursehouse and Heather and and Brendan um, that that again that. 
that come from the same places as they do, that, that have similar stories and similar families and similar friendship networks, um, that have always, on some level, they've, they've, they've often been told that this, this isn't for you, um, but, but they've seen these other people do it and make a success of it. Um, and so they, they, they feel the wind in their sails because of that. Um, and I, I guess my job is to sort of uh, help them with the rudder and the oars. We're a landlocked county, by the way. <laughs> uh, thank you, Rob. Hada, so uh, I also have a question for you. And uh, so Rob uh, told about uh, these writing initiatives and um, Jonathan told a lot about uh, the inclusion of, of local voices, uh, local writers, and this distinction between the government initiatives and private initiatives. And um, as to me, uh, private initiatives have um, that kind of power that they are, uh, as a rule, more empathic. And I know that uh, you do a lot uh, to integrate uh, people with dementia uh, to the cultural activity. And uh, could you please share this, your experience? Uh, how do you work with uh, this category of people? And what impact on the society uh, does it have? I connect with people with dementia in, in different ways. Um, I think probably it started when I was invited to go to a session run by the Alzheimer's Society. Um, a fellow poet said, would I like to come and read some of my poems there? Uh, so I went and I actually found it really enjoyable. And that was in 2010. And so I, I carried on going to sessions. Um, I managed to get a little bit of finance for doing it, but I did it at a cut down rate because I just felt it was, I was giving something back as well as um, earning a small amount of money. Um, and gradually I started to give more of a performance standing perhaps with a microphone, but involving people in the group um so maybe they would share poems of their own and i would always chat to people and start writing from speaking to them and listening to them um and gradually i would then share their work back to them um and between groups so i might write a, a poem from something that happened at one group and then take it to a different group in a different part of, um, it was mainly Birmingham where I was doing these workshops. Um, and then I started to write songs. So I, I wrote a song called Alzheimer's Army, which aims to uh, be in the voice of people with dementia, telling people who don't have dementia what it's like and saying, please listen to me. This is what it's like. Understand, I'm just a normal person. It could happen to you. Um, I could be a nurse, I could have could have been a, a banker, I could have been in the Navy, um, but, you know, it, it could be you. And I, so I did this song and I performed it, and it, it sort of became the anthem for these dementia groups, and they asked me to sing it. Sometimes it would make them cry. They danced because it was, it had got a 
a, a waltz tempo to it and sometimes sometimes they dance then they commissioned me to do another piece um for, particularly for one group so it, it was a, an interaction in, in a group situation but where i would also talk to individuals i remember one man had the song in his he'd got a sort of a scrapbook they used to remind him of things and he had my song lyrics in there um, the other way that I've connected with people with dementia is, is through the oral history and actually to, to sit and talk to an individual and listen to their story, record it, um, and then turn it into a poem or a song. Um, and that may be part of a bigger project where some people had dementia and some didn't. I think working with older people, you know, you're going to get all kinds of, of uh, disabilities, hearing, sight loss, dementia. Um, and so you just work with that, that person. Um, I, I remember I wrote a song for a man who um, I think I was probably one of the last people to see him alive because I went to his bedside and I read the words out to him and he looked very, very unwell. And next thing I know, he's actually died. But I remember the huge smile on his face um, when I when I read these words out to him. Thinking about it, he, he didn't have dementia, but um, it, it's it's all melds into into one. People people with dementia are are people, um, and we should make a way of you know find ways of communicating with people and listening to them and telling their stories. Um, yeah. That's, that's the way it is. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Uh, we have in Ukraine uh, a lot of social care initiatives, but I suppose this work with people with dementia, with Alzheimer, is uh, still untouched. And it is a very good experience that you show and that you share. Thank you. So I suppose uh, at this moment uh, we should um, end our conversation and our podcast. I thank you very much for your participation, for your uh, sincere stories, for your experience, for sharing your experience. And I remind you that tomorrow we are going to meet once again uh, during our uh, conference. So, Kultura uh, Kura, we believe that culture can heal both the society and probably some parts of ourselves. Thank you very much. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Robert, Rob. And thank you, Jonathan.